Hello, I'm Ian Cheeseman and this is the Forever Blue podcast. Thanks very much for your company uh, as ever. Uh, you're welcome as a new listener and we're very grateful for your listening. And if you're a new listener, um, sorry, if you're a regular listener, then, uh, then thanks for your loyalty. Don't forget you can subscribe to the podcast. It is free and we will be back next season because even though I have some uncertainty at the moment as to whether the vlogs are going to continue, thanks to the support of charleslouis.co.uk or Chartered Mortgage Advisors, um, I've been assured that they're going to continue their support next season. So I'm very grateful to them. Uh, they are, as I say, Chartered Mortgage Advisors. So if you need some advice, uh, either for yourself, for your company, your business, whatever, then uh, look at their website, charleslouis.co.uk. The Louis spelled L-O-U-I-S. There's no gaps in it, charleslouis.co.uk. Have a look on there. They're based in Ramsbottom, which is near Bury. Uh, there'll be a phone number on there. Dave is the man who basically is the big supporter of the, uh, the podcast. So mention his name, ask for him, and I'm sure you get some special treatment. Now, I'm joined tonight by uh, two of what we now regard Amy as a regular. So she's a member of the Forever Blue squad. So Amy um, is back again. So too is Harlan, who is basically on this podcast pretty much as much as I am. Um, and then we have Lucas, who is from the 1894 group, who, of course, is the, the group of supporters who basically are in the South Standard City, uh, not exclusively, but basically in the South Standard City, and who organise displays in the uh, for the big, big European games, etc., and try to encourage uh, a positive atmosphere at the stadium. So, Lucas, thanks very much for, for joining us. Really appreciate your uh, involvement in tonight's podcast. No so, it's a pleasure to have you. Right, let's let's start by uh, looking back at the Real Madrid game, and I assume that everybody's uh, pretty giddy after watching <laughs> that uh, that victory against Real Madrid, which I've got to say I did expect. I mean, having won the first leg two one without Sergio Ramos, and despite the absence of Sergio Aguero, um, I still had no doubt that City would win that game. Um, so, is that how you felt? Let's start with you, Amy. I mean, I presume you are giddy. Is that the right word? <laughs> <laughs> Tell us how you're feeling, or how you felt when you were watching it. Um, I, I am a, a nervous person anyway, so there was a few nail-biting, uh, not that I've got any anymore, but I don't think you have nails when you're a City fan. But um, yeah, there's a few nail biting moments. But no, I I I had I had the 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 thing that we were going to win. You've got you as I, as I say before, you've got the belief. So, and it's good to beat Real Madrid. It's not every day you beat Real Madrid. So, are you surprised at Pep's team selection? I mean, a lot of people expected it to be uh, John Stones, Nicolas Otamendi before the announcement of Eric Garcia not being willing to renew his stay at City beyond the end of next season. It might have been him that was expected to start, but in the end, he's not played at centre-back for a while, but Fernandinho stepped in. I'm a big fan of Fernandinho, but yeah. even I didn't expect him to start because of the, the pattern in the build-up. Did you expect yeah. that? Uh, I mean, some some weren't surprises, um, but yeah, you know, I'm gutted about Garcia, to be fair. I thought he might have wanted to stay, but, you know, he's a young lad. He wants to experience more things. But, yeah, I'm a bit gutted he wants to go, to be honest. I think we should try and keep hold of our young lads. I know there's a lot of support out there for Phil Foden. Um, yeah. But I'm still a little bit surprised, if I'm being honest, that he started him in that game. Um, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. I'm just saying it caught me out a little bit because I'd have thought he might have gone for Mares or he might have gone for Bernardo Silva. He had other options. Were you surprised with, uh, with Foden's selection? 
Uh, no, I think he's he's done really well. I'm a, I say I'm like you. I'm a big fan. Um, you know, and I, it gives him chance to prove himself against the big big teams on the big stage. Lucas, were, were you giddy after the game? I was, yeah. I mean, I was uh, incredibly pessimistic going into the game. I just thought it would be us all over to throw away a pretty comfortable 2-1 away win. Um, everything was sort of going our way before the game. The likes of Gareth Bale, obviously, having a Barney with Zidane and so on. Um, but I, I was just impressed because we, had, we just dominated them, in my opinion. I thought I was quite concerned at half-time that it was 1-1 because we were so comfortably better than them in the first half. Um, I just thought they're, they're going to punish us here for, for not putting them to bed early on. Um, but after the game, I know it's 2-1. We could have had a penalty. We had a, a few decent chances. And other than Benzema, who's a different class, isn't he? He's a brilliant player. Um, we made them look like amateurs. Hazard barely had a touch. Did he? Tony Cruz in the middle. It, it was like we were playing a mid-table team in the end, really. There's two, two ways of looking at it, and I've heard both points of view from City fans that City were brilliant on the pressing game and forced the errors of Varane and others saying they were shocking at the back Real Madrid and that's the worst Real Madrid team we've ever seen and I don't know which way you would go on that one but I've seen both sides of that argument which way are you on that then? Well I think in everything that there's a, a bit of truth to both isn't there I mean I thought Varane was don't get me wrong, it's incredibly poor from a, you know, a guy who's won the competition a handful of times. Um, but the first goal, I thought the keeper, it was like Claudio Bravo all over again in his <laughs> season for us. He, he doesn't give him much chance there. And even if, um, even if Varane can play it up the wing like uh, he probably should have done, our, our press was too good at that point to be playing it around the back there. And as soon as he's passed that, he's, he's dogged him in it really, hasn't he? It's a bit of a hospital ball to him. But then... Um, the second, the second one as well, um, that header, if, if, that, if he was an attacking player, we'd be saying that's the assist of the season, wouldn't we? It's a brilliant header into, into Gabriel Jesus. And I think, realistically, it's the Champions League. They've, they've got to do better than that. But the point is, we, we were so good that we put them in that, in that position. Uh, we pressured them. And when they made the mistake, it's happened to us so many times over the past few years in Europe. When we make a mistake, we've been punished. And it was probably the first occasion where a big team in Europe have made those mistakes. And we've just put them to bed. Just no nonsense. Two goals and it puts us through. Somebody on the vlog after the game said to me, it reminded them of the Sean Golter goal in the last derby at Main Road when Gary Neville set it up. Yeah. <laughs> my picture is. <laughs> yeah, behind you, for those who are listening to the podcast, behind Amy on the wall behind is, um, how would you describe that, Amy? Is that, is that, is it's that a poem. A, it's a poem. It's a poem. Hey, yeah. go on, turn around and read the poem out then to us. Can you do that? <laughs> okay. It, <laughs> says, it says, Main Road, Manchester Massacre. Remember, remember the 9th of November, our last main real derby will last forever. The score, score was leveled, then Goat was fed by Neville. Silly boy should have known for sure. Feed the Goat and he will score. Three City, United won, King Kev's just loving it, loving it, loving it. 9th of November 2002. Oh, perfect. And I couldn't read that, you see. I'm looking at, at, at that behind you, but I can't read it. And I didn't say that to link you into that. Well, that was perfect. <laughs> right, Harlan, as a tactical analysis... Um, you know, go and tell us what was the difference between City and Real Madrid, apart from the obvious of, of scoring more goals. 
I think the desire, Ian, the, the intensity of Sterling said that there was passion and desire. Uh, completely agree with that. I think the way we approach the game, um, like, like Lucas said, you know, he was pessimistic about it. There was a lot of fans out there saying that they were pessimistic about it. As you know, I'm very optimistic. Not optimistic blindly. Optimistic because I genuinely believe everything I say. I don't say it to be different. I don't say it to the opposite way to everyone that's pessimistic. I say it because I genuinely genuinely 100% believe what I'm saying and um, I thought we were really good um, tactically I think Pep set up perfectly I think that Pep set up the way he did and asked the boys to press it seemed like we were pressing a lot more intensely than even normal because he knew that Ramos wasn't in there to give Ram that support and that, that leadership that he needed and it was almost like not comparing the two players in any way shape or form but it was almost like Stones without Merrick or Vincent was like Varane the other night. Without that leader next to him, he looked alienated. He looked shaky on the ball. He looked like he didn't know what to do with it. Every single time that Jesus and, and Sterling pressed him, he looked nervy. We looked like we might nick it and we might we might score a goal or we might catch them. And I think that you know that wasn't accidental. Pep, Pep knew that Ramos was missing. He also knew that Varane might struggle without Ramos. And that's the reason why I think Sterling and, and, and Jesus were set up to press as high and as and as um, intensely as they did. And it, and it absolutely worked a treat. We scored two goals from that at the end of the day and, and that put us in the driving seat. Thought the defending for the Benzema goal was a bit poor. The way it brought Rodrigo on that right-hand side with the ball in, I thought somebody should have got up, Rodri maybe, and, and edited that away. But like Lucas said, Benzema's an absolute predator in the box and he got them back in the game. And I, I, it seemed like an age before that second goal came. I, I kind of almost became a bit pessimistic as the game went on. And I was like Amy, I was nail-biting, very anxious. You know, you know, if we don't score the next goal and, and, and do this, it, it's probably going to go wrong. Um, and aware that Jesus took that goal was absolutely fantastic. Going back to what you said at the start, Ian, Phil Foden, um, I think he was put in there to cause mayhem. Don't forget there was an ageing Modric in there and an ageing Tony Cruz. They're not the Tony Cruz and Modric of yesteryear. Take nothing away from us. I thought we approached it really well. I think Fordham was in there to be like Dickov used to be back in the day, a bit of a, a bit of a, a rat in there, a bit of a, you know, all over the place. Uh, they used to call him the wasp, didn't they, Dickov, Ian? Um, cause absolute mayhem and, and keep everyone guessing, and that's what I think Phil Fordham was in there to do. don't think it was his finest game, but I thought he played well. Um, and overall, tactically spot on from Pep, and yeah, I was absolutely buzzing. Uh, did me normal, jumped up in the air, fist pumped in the middle of Bolton after I come out of the pub. But it was a tough one for me to watch because there was no sound, even though there was no fans in the ground and no atmosphere. I was in a pub watching it and there was music on, music was blaring. It was almost hard to focus at times, but I just zoned in. I told everyone to shut up and come near me. I'm watching the City Madrid game. Leave me alone and I'll talk to you after the match. And then when everyone spoke to me after the game, I was buzzing. Now, I know this is a subject I've brought up on the podcast before, but it's going to continue on while we're in the situation we're in at the moment. And particularly, Lucas might have a, an interesting view on this as one of the leaders of uh, the atmosphere in the, in the ground. Um, when I watched that Real Madrid I thought, uh, game, I thought, no bookings again. You know, not very few tackles in the game. And although I was obviously delighted that City won the game and went through, um, from a, if, you know, in the old way, I would have looked at, and some people might, might hate me for saying this, but I would have expected Real Madrid to be a bit more cynical, to, to kick a few people, to pull a few shirts, to time waste, to cheat, to dive. And actually, even though we all condemn that, um, I, you know, I've, I've had a lifetime of watching that. And actually, 
I know when it's against your team, you don't like it, but you know that that is part of football, and and I miss that. And it, and I, the question I suppose I'm getting to is, if I'm right that that is missing, that there are certain, or was that just Madrid? I don't know, but that these things are missing because there's been a lot less bookings generally since when behind closed doors. It, it, is that is that is the game not the same game that it was before? Is that what the different is that what the difference the fans make? What do you think, Lucas? Well, I think it, ignoring the fans very briefly, it, and I suppose the Champions League, we've, we've all mostly only watched one game in it. If you look at the domestic football, 100% it is. There's five subs now. There's a drinks break. Um, it, it's a different game. It's different rules. Everything's changed. So the intensity has dropped. You don't have the fans roaring the team on in the last 10 minutes. So that's changed completely. The fact that they uh, pipe crowd noise in is... Uh, are signing up to say that it's missing something, isn't it? It's missing uh, the spectacle. And I think that that would normally... Um, I mean, I mean if, if you can imagine that game, if, if it had gone ahead when it was meant to, with everything that had happened with UEFA, the fact it's Real Madrid, um, you can only imagine what the atmosphere must have been like, well, what it would have been like in there. It would have been one of the best atmospheres we've ever seen at the Etihad. Um, and realistically... Whether it's a good thing for City or not, you don't know. I think players like Foden, who don't necessarily have the most experience in the biggest atmospheres and so on, he obviously has a lot, but compared to someone like a Sergio Ramos or a Benzema, not in the same league, it takes the pressure off a bit. We know we're probably the best football team in the world, or one of them, uh, in actually playing football. And in the past few years, in the Champions League, we've been knocked out when it's come to big atmospheres and and things like that. So maybe it, maybe it benefits us in the long run. I think the game's very different. But I think, if anything, it probably benefits City in this competition. As a relatively young fan, though, and, and I can play you off, not in the wrong way, but against Amy and, and Harlan um, a little bit, in the sense that, you know, you're, you're, you're all about passion. I'm not saying them two are, but you're all about passion. And I'll, I'll admit that even when I was younger, when I was your age, um, I was a, a lot more of a placid fan. I've always been more of a placid fan. Although I love the the anger, the intensity, the shouting, the singing. I love all that. And, and, and to me, it's a very valuable part of the game. And I, I wouldn't want to sit with 55 other thousand people like me. I'm glad that we have uh, the South Stand. I'm glad that we have, you know, the old, uh, the old, old Trafford, Stretford End and the Cop and all the rest of it. That's what makes... To me, that's what makes football special. And that's why I'm missing that when we're watching this sanitised TV. And it feels as if football is, as you quite rightly say, is changing, partly because of change rules, partly because of lack of, and you know, um, uh, the, the sort of an anticipation of it all. But I, I don't enjoy this. You know, it's nice to watch the slick passing. Now, Harlan might, I know Harlan loves this sort of football, might love it. And I'm not, I'm not decrying it, but I actually like a few crunches. And I like, I like it when the, 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 the supporters have a go at a player and the player gets a bit riled, you know, and, and, you know, and then kicks out at somebody. And that, that's not, I'm not encouraging sort of violence or anything like that, but it, I just, that's the passion that I love. And, and this new sanitised, perfect pitches, no bookings, no cheating, you know, VAR gets the decisions right to the to the millimeter. I, I miss the old days. Am I just a dinosaur? And well, 
<laughs> whether you're a dinosaur or not, you know, <laughs> we, we don't know. But uh, <laughs> with, with this in particular, um, I think everyone likes the theatrics, don't they? The, the referees making a decision that goes against you and everyone getting on the back. Um, I think another massive part of fans being in the stadium is the sort of uh, tribe mentality, the local pride. Um, we're all clearly from Manchester. We all want to do our bit and show how good Manchester is. And if you come in, you're cheating on our ground. We're going to give you a load of abuse because we're the best fans and we do it better than anyone else. And um, without without fans in the ground, realistically, it's just it's just eleven players kicking a ball about. Especially for Premier League teams, there isn't that much of an affinity with players come and go, don't they? It's not it's not like football was in the seventies or eighties. Um, players come and go, so it's hard to get as passionate about it. It's hard to get. Without the, the one constant in football is the fans. And at the end of the day, if you take those out of it, um, City, United, Liverpool, without the fans there, they'll be a completely different club in 10 years' time. There'll be different players, different managers. Um, and obviously that's natural, that's football, things change. Um, but without, without the fans there, it's kind of the spectacle's not the same. It's not as enjoyable. It's not... You, you kind of lose all those moments, don't you? The cheating, getting on people's backs, celebrating last-minute winners—it's good. Like it's—it's it's nice to have it on the telly. I think they made the right decision to to carry on playing the games. But you, you may as well watch like training games or something. You know, it's—it's—it's it's, it's nice to watch, but it's not the same. At least you make me sound like I'm maybe not a hundred percent dinosaur. <laughs> um, so, what about you two? Go on, Amy. I'll let you go first. Uh, um, like, I, I hate not being at the ground. It's really messed with my mental health. It really has. Like, it's really bothered me. Like, I am that person that will shout and scream and the people next to me are wetting themselves laughing because I'm there getting angry. I always remember it was really funny. Nalito had got into a bit of a scrap. I can't remember who it was, who it was with at the time, but I proper stood up and went, just headbutt him. And he actually did and got red carded. Now, I'm not saying he would have heard me from where I sit, but I just went, that weren't me. That was not my fault. I know I said it, but it wasn't my fault. <laughs> but yeah, I am, I am a bit, you know, hooligan. football hooligan. I will, I, I, I've held my hands up. <laughs> so, do you, so do you think the, the football's as good then? Because that's sort of what I suppose me and Lucas are saying, that the whole dynamic of the football's changed, hasn't it? It is, it is different. You can tell it's different. Like, I don't know whether it is because of COVID and everyone's a bit like, I need to stay away from you. You're not in my bubble group or whatever. But it is different. You can, you can see the difference. It is, it is quiet. And, like, you know, that Real Madrid match, you can imagine all the, you know, the lads from Spain and, and all us lot would have been there. And, you know, and obviously where I sit, I sit quite close to the um, away fans. So... Um, I can hear them and, you know, the what they bring to the ground and everything, you know, all the um, foreign teams and stuff when they bring in the drums and all sorts and you can't help but dance to the beat of what they're playing because it's quite, it's, sometimes it's it's a bit rhythmic. Um, but yeah, no, the ground is missing the fans and I think the lads will be missing the fans but they've just got to get on with what, you know, the game and the job that they've got to do. Has the football changed, Harlan? I mean, you know, you, you love football and I know that despite the fact there's no crowd in there, but is it a very different game? Are we watching a different sport now? Um, 
it's a difficult one because I think first thing I want to say is I think we've been the most professional side in the Premier League since we've returned in terms of the way we approach the games. I think the way we've approached the games, and that is down to Pep. And it's down to the, the inner beings of the players we've got, the characters we've got, the De Bruyne's, you know, that lion heart that he's got, the fact that David Silva's so professional, the fact that before, you know, obviously I know Sergio's not played in lockdown and uh, after lockdown, shall I say, um, but he's the same kind of player. Uh, Vinny was like that. You know, we've got other players in the squad that are very professional, but I think every player in the squad has turned up and, and gone, Do you know what, Let, let's give the fans something to watch at home. You know, let's not let the fans sit there at home and go, oh, look, the boys aren't bothered. Uh, you know, they're just trying to see out the season. For me, it's not been like we've, trying to, we've been trying to see it out. For a lot of the teams, I think it has been. I don't think it was like that for the, for the teams in the relegation zone either because they all had things to play for. So I believe they all had to come back professional. The teams like Burnley that were safe as houses, I just kind of thought some of their games were more sanitised. But I thought ours were, were pretty intense. I thought the intensity was good. I thought we played really well. I thought we, we approached the games professionally. But in terms of the atmosphere, talking about mental health is very important, Amy, because... I said to Ian when he asked me a question months ago, Ian, about whether football should return or not, that nobody was talking about those fans that, that were missing the football on a Saturday, that only had the football to focus on on a, on, a, on a weekly basis. You know, the older people that lived on their own that were always isolated, never mind just in the COVID-19 situation. They're always, you know, they're always isolated. So the only time they can get out and, and do something is on a Saturday or a, a Wednesday night for a Champions League game or a league game. So it was about them people missing it as well. And, I do think that mental health is, is, is something that's hugely important and, 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 you know, the positive mental health message should be promoted a lot. And I think people not being at the ground, not being able to, as, as I'm sure Amy's getting at, being able to express that emotion at the stadium, which people harbour all week to be able to get to the ground and, and unleash it. You can't do that in your house because your neighbours will complain to the council about you <laughs> shouting as loud as you would at the Etihad. So I know that might sound like a bit of a joke, but, you, you can't get as, I can get as passionate at home, but I'm probably getting bangs on the wall every five minutes. But you're not allowed to, 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 to get that passionate because it's almost like you've not got that pass that you get, that invisible pass you get when you walk through the, the turnstiles at the Etihad, where you're allowed to be whoever you want to be for 95 minutes. You, you can't do that. So yeah, you're right, Ian. I do love the football, but when I'm at the ground, I almost study the match and... I'm just as passionate as everybody else at the same time. It's a weird kind of gift I've got to be able to get just as passionate, but still, um, still, you know, soak everything up at the same time. And then when I come out and speak to you on the vlog, I can I can tell you exactly what what the game's been like, you know, word for word, half the time. But yeah, it's a weird one, and I'm missing it, and I just want to get back there now. And I'm, I'm I've said to Jess, we don't get to many away games, but I've said after this. I'm definitely going to try and get to more away games, try and watch as much football as possible. I'm going to try and get down to Radcliffe. I'm going to go and watch as many teams as possible that are in our local area as well because I'm missing being at a ground, getting passionate and getting behind the footballers. Well, there's two things I'd say. First of all, I wouldn't have used the word gift. Um, I'm not sure what word I would have used, but when you say... Not gift, but like a... Like a... I'm taking the mickey out of you, Harlan. I'm taking the mickey out of you. In a, in a big-headed way, it's just more of a kind of, like an ability to just do that, to kind of be as passionate and not get carried away and, and not register what's going on. If you get I it. know what you meant. I was just taking the mickey out of you. Uh, the other thing is, uh, uh, and this is a serious point. Sorry, go on, Lucas. From some of the stuff I hear in the South Stand, I think it is a gift to be able to analyse a football match. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> that's, that's a fair point. Um, from, and, and from where from where I sit, I mean, I I've 
you know, I got the chance to be able to finally, after millions of years, of try and get a season card. And I'm obviously in the new tier in the South Stand. And I think they're amazing seats. Like, you just get to see everything, you know, and you, you get a good viewpoint and you can see, even though I'm high up, you can see what's going on and you, you can see, like, little things and you get to analyse things because you can see the whole of the ground. So, I, you know, from where I sit, I have a good view. On the serious point of mental health, and I don't want to make this too personal, but um, I've got to say... Uh, I have struggled with not being able to go to the games. And I don't say that flippantly. Um, pacing around at home and, and watching games on TV is not something I find natural because for 45 years, I've literally gone home and away. Until that Arsenal game, I'd never seen City play on TV live. Never. Um, so I, I've, I've struggled a bit. So I, I can certainly understand. And I don't say that flippantly. And everybody has different issues and, and it's not just about football either even though this is a football podcast but we all are struggling a little bit I think uh, we've been um, restricted from the things that are our normal sort of release valves if you like which actually then brings me on perfectly to what happened of course on on Friday night which was the planned guard of honour for David Silva. Now the 1894 group were involved in in organising this um, there were, I think, probably three or four weeks, correct me if I'm wrong, Lucas, of, of build-up to this. And then right at the very final minute, uh, not quite the final minute, but you know what I mean, right at the last uh, few hours, uh, the whole thing was stopped. And yet there were still people who gathered. You've probably seen the video. On, I put a little bit on the vlog, not a lot of it, but of, of people there. And, um, and some of it didn't look like it was properly social distance. So one of the reasons I particularly wanted to get you on, Lucas, on this podcast, though you're more than welcome to come on in the future. Don't think this is just a specific one we're inviting you to. So please feel free to come back again. But I wanted to get your view of from the 1894 group here of what, what you were trying to plan, um, what you were going to do on the day, how, how late that changed, why it changed, and what you then made of what happened after it had been cancelled. So talk us through it. Yeah, so obviously um, the main focus of it is David Silva, City's uh, most decorated player. I'm pretty sure every single one of us agrees he deserves the biggest send-off we could, we could possibly give him. Um, and it was a little um, earlier than the four weeks you mentioned there. Um, it was around June we were approached by one of our members um, who'd also got in touch with the, um, support, the official supporters club um, saying um, at the time the restrictions were starting to lift um, they were saying why don't we plan something where we give him a guard of honour at the ground we'd line the road, social distance and um, you know give him, give him a bit of a send off obviously we can't give him the best send off we wanted to um, but in, in the current circumstances that was a, was a pretty good idea so we started uh, putting things in motion we got in touch with a few other um, supporters uh, groups that, that um, were helping us out. Um, we'd been in touch with the club. Uh, we'd put an event on Facebook as well to start gauging interest to see whether or not it was something that uh, people were going to do. And it was clear straight away um, this was something that people were going to do. People were going to turn up there, 1894 or not, they were, they were going to show up. Um, as soon as we'd put something on Facebook, um, we have a relationship with uh, people like Greater Manchester Police who'd um, contacted us to sound it out. They heard the plans and they were quite happy. Um, from the start, we'd, um, we'd planned on getting volunteers 
um, and we were actually going to uh, use <laughs> like pavement chalk and mark out social distance lines right the way down both sides of the roads from CFA to um, to the stadium. And doing that, we thought we'll we'll have a pretty good way of like marshalling it. We'll be able to give people you know nice pointers to tell them where to stand and so on. We'd bought a load of bin bags to pick up any rubbish. We we were quite keen to not replicate the scenes that had happened at Liverpool and Leeds where the, the place was trashed afterwards and police were being attacked and so on. Obviously, we, were, we weren't planning on anything like that. We just wanted to give David Silver a bit of a send-off in the way that, um, that we could. Everything progressed as we'd expect it to. Um, and then on the Thursday night of the week before last, um, we, we got the bombshell that obviously the restrictions were tightening in, in Manchester, the, the rate was increasing. Um, and obviously uh, we, are, we have uh, internal meetings constantly. We're always talking about what the best thing to do is. Um, and we sounded out um, all of our members, which is over a thousand people. Uh, we'd got in touch with some of the other people who were helping us to organize it. Um, and they'd all said the same thing. The, the point was, whatever happened from there, people were going to turn up. Uh, and we felt we, we had somewhat of like a moral obligation to go and uh, put the social distancing markings out and try and do a bit to make sure it was staying sensible. Um, we actually spoke to the person we deal with at Greater Manchester Police on Wednesday night. Um, he'd informed us of the new rules, but he didn't say to stop it. He, he was just saying, keep safe, you know. Um, don't do anything stupid uh, and, and we thought it was business as usual but then we were um, approached by the people we deal with at the club uh, asking for a meeting on Thursday evening um, so we, we ended up getting in this meeting um, we, was, we were dealing with an employee at the club who is um, a few pay bands higher than what we would usually expect to speak to um, and essentially, we were told in no uncertain terms, uh, them and Greater Manchester Police have now decided that this was not going ahead. Um, they can't support it. They, they need to um, stop it. Apparently, the numbers that they um, expected to arrive to come to it uh, was uncontrollable and, and it, was, it was too much of a risk. And at that point, we're, we're not going to go against the police. We're not going to uh, sour relations with the club that we've built for seven, eight years. Um, and, and we took the decision to contact all the volunteers that had offered to help us um, and essentially say, look, we can't do anything. We can't organise it. The club have told us we can't go and put social distance markers out. Uh, we, can't, we can't do anything to support this. And... Fair enough. In hindsight, it's a sensible decision. There's, there's more to life than football. And we all kind of uh, took it on the chin and decided, even though people are still going to turn up, we'll do what you're saying. They, they were quite um, abrupt in the way that they spoke to us in the meeting and uh, made it very clear that there was going to be um, a strong police presence. There was going to be lots of statements coming out and so on. Um, so we, we took the decision to publicly say that what we were organising isn't going ahead. We're not putting social distance markers down. We aren't cleaning up all your rubbish afterwards. So we're advising you not to go. If you want to go, it, it's not, you know, it's not our baby anymore. We're not, we're not taking care of it. And the, the unfortunate thing is, which we all knew was, was going to happen anyway, 
uh, you still ended up with 200 odd people turning up, no social distancing, um, all congregated around Mary Dears because they'd obviously been in there and just ploughed out around quarter past six when they thought the bus was going to come. Um, and the, the unfortunate thing is that there wasn't any organisation there whatsoever. Um, I can understand fans wanting to see David Silver off. He's, he's a club legend. Um, but it's, it was just a frustrating situation overall. Obviously, when we started the initial plans back in late June, early July, everything was looking a lot different back then. So um, things change quite quickly in the current environment, don't they? And, uh, unfortunately, we took, the, uh, we took the route we thought was the best option. So you tried to go down a, a responsible route. I mean, some people listening to this, and I obviously will put the other side of the argument, would say that the chances of controlling people in social distancing when they're mainly young people, I'm guessing, certainly the, the 200 that caused the, the, the less social distanced version that we saw on Friday night all look fairly young to me, that, that, that trying to control that was never going to happen. But you were going to try and then the decision to pull it was such last minute that that surprised me because right up until two days before, I was being told by by people in, in your group, you know, that it was going to go ahead. Um, I didn't know, I mentioned on the podcast last week, I didn't know if I was going to go down, whether it was the right thing or not. I was umming and ahhing about it, and then the decision was taken away. Now, I don't know whether you'll have a different view on this, because I don't. I honestly don't know what, the, what you're going to say to me now, but have people... Um, if the right word is blame the 1894 group for the way it eventually was and if that is the case do you feel let down by the club and the police or, or, or do you feel as if you can honestly say well listen in the end we told you not to come um, so you won't get tarnished with it um, I wouldn't necessarily say I feel let down it's more just disappointment in that um, we wanted to give something to David Silver. We wanted to show him how much he means. Um, and essentially, if we'd have been told weeks ago that you know this wasn't going to happen, the police were going to put a stop to it. Essentially, um, we wouldn't have we wouldn't have done as much <laughs> as much work as much prep. And I, I know what you mean about it's it's hard to control people. Never mind young football fans who were going to do what they want on the beers. Um, it, it's always going to be hard. But we'd had uh, 45 volunteers, uh, myself included. We were taking uh, days off work. We were meant to be meeting at the stadium for two o'clock to set things up. And the, the point that we would make is that people were going to turn up anyway. It, it doesn't matter whether we put things out or not. People were going to turn up regardless. Um, so... Essentially, we could have offered more organisation than, than what happened. But you're never, you're never going to fully control people. And if, um, you know, the people saying, oh, you know, is it sensible to do it and so on? Well, at the end of the day, that it's a personal decision, isn't it, I suppose? I think um, you get people, it, let, look at it this way. Have you seen the videos from Mary Dees on the night? Um, there's no social distancing whatsoever. There must have been 300 people in there all jumping about, hugging each other when Jesus scored the second. Um, you've got people flocking to the beaches. You've got people in uh, supermarkets, restaurants, bars. Um, the only restrictions that actually came out on the Thursday night the week prior was uh, you can't go around to your mum's house and have a brew in the garden. Um, so 
it's it's a frustrating situation because there's there's a lack of clarity um, in terms of people can do things uh, when it comes to spending money, can't they? But then when it comes to just walking down a road and, and waving at a bus, you're not allowed to do that. Um, so I, th I think it's always going to be a tough one. I think the club probably had their view on it weeks before and just didn't let us know. I think Greater Manchester Police have to change when the, the restrictions change. Um, and at, at the end of the day, it would have been nice for us to have had a bit more information from them in the previous meetings and conversations we had beforehand, which we didn't get. Uh, but I wouldn't say I'm let down. At the end of the day, they've got, um, they're trying to uh, do things right themselves, aren't they? And um, we're obviously going to try and do our, do our best to sort of build a relationship with them because through us having a relationship with the club, it does give at least our members a voice into the club and we're, we're not going to sort of sour relations with them just to, um, you know, just in this one event to, to host a, a Guard of Honour for David Silver. Well, you've given a very long and detailed, and I appreciate that, this, uh, this sort of proper timeline of what happened, and people only think they know little bits of it. So I th hopefully that, that has made it far clearer to other people, and personally, I hope the 1894 group don't get any negativity from towards you from from this because you seem to me to be doing everything right and wanting to do it the right way right from the beginning right through to the end um but what about you amy and, and harlan um what, what do you think then of of what happened and and what you just heard from from lucas yeah like ian said lucas they pretty, we all i think we all appreciate the clarity on it now you know i wasn't i wasn't too not in a disrespectful way to you guys or, or, or even the fans that went down. I, I was just more focused on the game. I, I, obviously, I'm thinking about David Silver. I'm thinking about it being his last game in the Etihad. I was just more, more focused on the game. I think game might be the same as me. I was that anxious. I just wasn't even thinking about what was going to be going on before the game. Yeah, but you probably saw the video on social media, didn't you? And that, that would have then created an opinion. Um, and that's, that's, yeah, no, that's I mean, really yeah, well, what Lucas is clearing for us. Yeah, but I think, I think for me, um, you know, my view is that people should be remaining, you know, socially distant, if that's the, the the advice, and we should be looking after one another. At the end of the day, we're one big family. We should be making sure each other are okay. But on the flip side, Ian, you know, this is a young person's perspective, by the way. This is just me as a human being talking. Um, with people being in for so long and missing people for so long and not experiencing things together that they've wanted to experience for so long, I think there's almost a discontentment between well, within people now where they've been denied things for so long now that when big moments like this are going to happen, David Silver leaving us, they almost can't and don't want to kind of miss out on moments like that much more. So it's almost not a disrespect, but a kind of we've had enough. And I'm not saying that's my view and I'm not saying that should be the view, but I think that's an, a normal human uh, reaction to being annoyed for so long and for a prolonged period to just all of a sudden go, no, do you know what? We've had enough. Like Lucas said, we're annoyed at the, uh, the lack of clarity. We're annoyed at this, that and the other. We're not missing out on saying bye to David Silver because in 20 years' time, when people ask us, what were you doing the night of David Silver's last game at the Etihad? And you say, oh, well, we had to stay at home. And, and you're trying to explain to your kids in 20 years' time that you weren't allowed to go and say bye to him because you had to stay at home because of COVID-19. They're not going to understand that. And they're almost going to kind of go, well, what? So you missed out on that moment because of 
social distancing. And it's, it's almost, I'm not saying don't miss out on moments, but I can almost see why people had almost had enough. I'm not saying disrespect. It's a difficult one to explain, but I, no, I get where you're coming from, Harlan. There was, was too big to miss at the same time. I, I think what you're putting your finger really on is, is something that generally in society that we're probably all perceiving at the moment, which is a, a general frustration of the prolonged lockdown. So we're in, in this podcast not going to talk about the politics of that and the rights and wrongs even of it. But what's undoubted, in my opinion, is that there is a growing sense of, you know what, I want this to end. And, and I'm not blaming younger people, but I'm saying younger people are at the forefront of this, A, because perhaps they've never, well, obviously never been through it, not that I'm saying I have, but also because they're being told all the time that young people aren't really under any threat from this. So therefore they feel less vulnerable to it all. Um, but I, even me, as, a, as an older fan, um, I, I'm feeling the same. And so I know you're, you're not wanting to necessarily nail down because everybody's frightened of you and their opinions on these things but for want of saying the wrong thing. But I feel it too. And, and Amy, before you were talking about the, the way it's affected your mental health, so that tells me that you're in the same place. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I couldn't have gone down because I, I'm at work, but I would have loved to have gone down to, to see David Silver. There would have been no question about it. But it's like anything with rules. When someone tells you to start do something, you're gonna do it. I mean, it's like at the end of the season when we've won, you know, when we've won trophies, big things on the screen. Don't go on, don't go on the pitch. What do people do? They go on the pitch. You know, it's just one of them. Like it, people will try and do something whether they're not allowed to or not. I've stuck to the rules, like nobody's business. I've hardly left my four walls. I started back at work on the 4th of July. I look after children, so I've got to be careful what, you know, what happens and stuff. Obviously, I'm in a room with three other girls. We've all got to social distance from each other. But in the beginning, we all had, had the bubble group, it was called. So two of us had one set of children and another two had another set of children. And then as the weeks went on, we was able to disperse these bubbles and we're back together. But us girls aren't allowed to mix, but the children are. And it was so nice to have the children back together because they were all like, oh, like we can see each other again. And it was nice to give them cuddles and stuff because they need that. They're only babies and they, they need a cuddle when they're upset and stuff. And things were very strange. We was all off work for three months. I don't know how it affected the kids, but, it, you know, it was strange not being outside and stuff and I, I made the joke of like my social life isn't that great but I was allowed to move further than just like out the front door and I you know went to see friends but I sat in the garden and we were sat two meters away now it's gone back to that I can't go and do that because some of my friends well I've got an older set of parents one of my friends has, has an older set of parents people have certain things and stuff like that and it's really hard that I cannot now go and see anyone. I can't go and see my friends that I've met at football. I have to WhatsApp them or whatever. And it is really hard to not to do something. But I have stuck to the rules. And when somebody doesn't stick to the rules, it gets on your nerves. You know, so, but like I said, the rules are there to be broken. And if someone's going to do something, they'll do it regardless. Now, this leads us on to the other subject that I wanted to talk about in this podcast, which is, 
going to grow in momentum and we're at the beginning of it at the moment what people are talking about it already which is the return of spectators um i saw a, a, a tweet today uh, by i think it was ollerton town or it's certainly a, a small non-league team and basically they did a tweet on their official account which was a picture of brighton beach with a lot of people on it with umbrellas up and, and everything i don't know if you saw this um and basically saying um to words to the effect of if we knock the main stand down and put a lot of sand there can we then have that many people in to watch <laughs> our game and i and i retweeted that because i thought you know you're right um uh, uh, so there's a lot of questions that, that can come from this because as soon as you start mentioning about social distancing back at Premier League games uh, sometime in September, October, whenever it's going to be, if it's going to be, um, then the big question is how many do, do uh, you know, there's 40,000 season ticket holders, which 10,000 are you going to let in? Is everybody even going to want to go back? I mean, I asked a question the other day of somebody and said, you know, it, let's say uh, ne next Saturday night, City played Leon, and it was at the Etihad. It wasn't in Portugal. It was at the Etihad. And you know what? It's free. You can, it, it's free to come. Absolutely free to come. Anybody can come. You don't need a ticket. Just turn up. First 55,000 can get in. Would there be 55,000 there? I, I wonder, actually, whether there would. Uh, that's not having a go at the City fan base. I'd say the same thing if it was at United or if it was at Liverpool. I think there are thousands of young people, the type who were not socially distancing in Mary D's and, and, and the David Silver uh, Guard of Honour that, that happened anyway, and the ones who my son was in Blackpool today, you know, um, you know and he saw thousands and thousands of people. You couldn't get on the pleasure beach, you know. Um, and, you know, those people presumably would all say, yeah, I'll be there. But I think there's an awful lot of people who would naturally want to go. So the starting point to this debate is, should it come back? Should, should we be back in stadiums? Should we be back soon? How many? And this is a big question, isn't it? How, how do we social distance? Can we social distance? I mean, I've, I've heard in other countries, they're telling them you can't sing, for example, you know, that you're not allowed to sing when you go. Um, imagine that in the South Stand, you're not allowed to sing, you know, that you will have to wear a mask and all these other, other sort of, parts of the equation what what is the future what, what do you think go on Lucas you kick us off well interestingly enough we had uh, surveyed our members about this which um, is broadly reflective of the the rest of the, the fan base um, and we asked them questions like how would you uh, reintegrate fans into the stadium what type of changes would you make within the stadium and so on um, and the vast majority of people said um, reduced allocations for the first few games. So, honestly, I can't see fans going in the stadium before Christmas. I, I don't see how that's going to happen. But say in the new year when they do come in, um, it wouldn't surprise me if we see uh, capped allocations of, say, like 5%, moving on to 10% on the next game, 15% the next. Um, and they'll grow the, the allocations from there. I think you might get um, certain things like food kiosks being closed, um, you know, beer stands and so on, the con so, so people don't congregate on the concourse. Um, we'll obviously Everything you're saying makes sense, and I, and I get that. But how, how do you, if it's 5% then, um, what, 10%, that's 2,500 people. Which 2,500 people? Well, we, 
this is going off the, the survey results. So the, the vast majority of people said it should be done on like a random draw. So essentially season ticket holders uh, get put into a pot. You, you basically pick whether or not you want to go to the game because as you said, there'll be people who have health conditions or who are more nervous about the virus who won't want to attend. And essentially, if you mark that you want to go back to the football, you'll be put into a raffle um, and drawn out of a hat, essentially. They'll keep bubbles together. So if you live with your dad, you can go to the game with him and sit next to each other. Um, but they'll do it spread out and try and organise it and see whether or not it leads to a spike in the virus over the first few weeks. But other than that, you know, realistically, you could do it on ticket points, which is, you know, that there'll be people kicking off about that. Um, I, th I think a random ballot is probably the fairest way to go. I think it's a difficult situation, isn't it? The club can't win with it. No football club can make the right decision. People are going to be upset. People will end up getting a ticket for United and then, the people who don't will be upset because they've got a ticket for West Brom the game after. Um, there's no way you can win with it. I, I, so I think a random ballot's probably the fairest way. You feel it'll be the other side of Christmas before even a small number of people are back in there because what we're hearing is that it could be by October. Yeah. I'd, the thing is, we, we were being told it, it might be the start of September, weren't we? And, with everything that's happening now, I know Preston's gone into a lockdown, Middlesbrough's heightened restrictions, up in Aberdeen it's the same thing. Um, realistically, it's, there's no, there is no politician that's going to put his neck on the line and put people back in a stadium too soon. They're going to be overly cautious with it, which is probably right. Um, and, and, yet, and yet thousands of people, as Ollerton pointed out, thousands of people are gathering on beaches and piling off to Blackpool because it's sunny. Um, what, what's the difference? <laughs> if you ask me, there's no difference, but that's as like an avid football fan. But I, I suppose it's the same with everything, even on a smaller scale. You can go to a restaurant now, you can go into the pub. Um, they've, got, they've got to start lifting restrictions somewhere. And I suppose with beaches and so on, don't get me wrong, a few weeks ago when we were in a stricter situation and you see these you know, thousands and thousands of people lined up on the beach with no social distancing whatsoever, um, you have to question their sort of um, sense in doing that. But now things have, have got to start getting back to normal. We can't, we can't keep living like this forever. So if people want to go to the beach and risk it themselves, nobody's forcing them to go. I, I think fair play, go and do it. Let's see if, if there is a second wave. And if, if there is, the rest of us who don't flock to the beaches <laughs> will we'll have a better idea and won't have, a, won't have the flu, will we? So let, let them be the guinea pigs. Let me ask you that hypothetical question, then I'll move on to the other two to give me the same answer. So this can be a one-word answer if you want. But if on Saturday night against Leon, it was at the Etihad, 55,000 could go, no restriction, free access, no rest would you go? Yeah, probably. <laughs> well, yeah, it's Champions League quarterfinals. No right? social distancing, no social distancing. 55,000 crammed in, would you go? Could be David Silver's last game, of course I would. <laughs> wouldn't miss it for the world. No, I'd, I'd, I probably would. I think I think my missus wouldn't be happy. I think I'd probably get a thick ear off my missus, and then, uh, uh, but, but it'd probably be worth it. I think, um, I don't know, I, I probably would, yeah. I, I appreciate that's an honest answer, and I appreciate the, the honest answer because you know we can dance around it, we can all say what the politically correct thing is, 
I'm just asking you for an honest answer. I hope you don't, you know, nobody's going to have a go at you for that. What's your answer to that one? No disrespect to those people that wouldn't go. Um, nothing against them. But yeah, 100%. Um, the reason why is because, you know, even though I didn't go down to the, the gathering the other night, and I can see from both sides, you know, why people shouldn't and, and why people might want to. Um, I've had enough now, Ian, in all honesty. I've had enough of missing a football. I've had enough of not being normal. I've, I've done my very, very best. But, you know, like Amy said, it starts to affect you mentally. You start to feel more anxious. I, I miss the football and I miss the people I sit near. And if the option was there, which it isn't, so obviously this is hypothetical, then yeah. And you know what? The majority of people you asked out of them 55,000, I honestly think that a lot of the people that had said no, because they wouldn't want to be vilified for that, would deep down actually go and would actually want to say yes. I just think people are that scared now of saying the wrong thing. And I think you hit the nail on the head earlier on here. I think if you asked the majority of the City fans that got season tickets and season cards, if they would go to that game if they could get in there now after all this time not going, I think the majority of people deep down would, would say yes. But the, you know, the, the answer you get would be different because people are scared of how people will respond to that answer. You're, you go with your granddad, don't you, occasionally to games. Do you, think he would, do you think he would return on Saturday night if we could do it? No, and I can see why not. Because he's in that vulnerable category. He's very poorly. My nana's, well, he's not poorly. My nana's very poorly, but my granddad's got the... The, the the capacity, if you want to call it that, to become very ill. Um, the, the sacrifice I'd make would be, obviously we've got to at the moment, but the sacrifice I'd make would be to stay away from anyone that is vulnerable. And I am that respectful to do that. I wouldn't then go mixing with people after the match. Obviously, I'd go because I'm, I'm willing to put myself at risk to watch the football. That's a choice I'm willing to make and a decision I'm willing to take. But I wouldn't then be that selfish to go near somebody that is vulnerable or that's very anxious about the virus. I think it's a decision you make consciously with other people's feelings and wishes in mind at the same time. Isn't that what's happening in society though right now then? So, you, you know, you three have been really honest and I appreciate that. Um, what, what we're saying really is that those people on Friday night all right, not, not necessarily everybody, because I believe there were a couple of missiles thrown around even, which is not, not good to hear. But the ones who went along who were just exuberant and, and were in uh, Mary D's afterwards and was, were enjoying themselves with no malicious intent, were only really reflecting what the three of you have said, and presumably because they feel that they're in that less vulnerable category. And as I said, I don't want to go into the, the politics or even the science of this, but it's not our place to do that. But I definitely feel that you three have just reflected, honestly reflected, the mood that is out there. And I, I also think that um, there would be a lot of older people who would be far less keen. I mean, at the moment, there's a special offer. And if you're listening outside the UK, you won't know this, but there's a special offer that if you go out to a restaurant at the moment, on a Monday, Tuesday or Wednesday, you get a special deal. And uh, and although, you know, it, you know, the restaurants are fairly full, and I've been out a couple of times to have a meal and take advantage of that, um, they're not quite as packed as I thought they would be. And I know people, certainly of my age, who are saying, oh, I don't want to go out yet. And I imagine that if I had three older people sat where you're sat at the moment, they would be saying, no way would I be at the Etihad in the 55,000 crowd. So 
I just think you're reflecting, um, you know, a big swathe of people who, you know, like I said before, perhaps are a little bit scared of publicly putting themselves above the parapet. But it's just, it's just being honest, isn't it? I think a good point, Ian, as well is, um, obviously we didn't know what was going to happen at the time, but um, if you remember when we played United away, um, I went to that game and COVID was a very real thing at the time. There were numerous cases in the UK. We were, we'd seen Italy and France had uh, near enough gone into lockdown. I don't know if they already had. Um, and there were, you know, best part of 18,000 people there. We were due to play Arsenal. Um, and I expected a, a pretty big turnout. I wouldn't say 55,000, but there would have been over 40,000 people easily. Um, and I think that's a bit of a reflection. I think, although we've seen a lot of it in the news and, um, you know, it's affected everybody's life so much, um, it's probably kind of like um, ignorance is bliss, isn't it? I suppose, I, I take it none of us have had COVID, so... <laughs> oh, I, think I, I think I've had it. I think I've had it, but I've not had the antibody test, so I don't yeah. know. But I was in Madrid, of course, with City, which became a, a hot a centre of um, COVID as soon as we came back. I then went to Old Trafford, Hillsborough, Wembley and all the other places. Yeah. I went to the theatre several times. Um, I lost my voice. I had a terrible cough. I lost a sense of smell. Uh, I had a roaring temperature. I'm absolutely convinced I had it. Um, I'm... I'm you know, if I have had it, then I'm come out the other side, and who knows? Maybe I passed it on to my family, and maybe unintentionally, when I was in all those locations, I was a spreader. We didn't know at that stage, um, but you know, we are where we are now, aren't we? That's it. Yeah, I think I think a lot more people have had it than what the official figures suggest. I think that you could probably times that number by ten, couldn't you? And you'd, you'd probably have a, a better reflection, but. Um, the, the point is, it, I've not had it. I don't know anyone around me who has, and I'm, I'm not one of the morons who say, oh, it's not real, it's a hoax or anything like that. It's caused by 5G or something stupid. But because I've not had it, I don't know how bad it is. I don't know whether it affects me and so on. And the, the ultimate honest opinion I can give you is, um, because I've not had that bad experience of having it, it's not put me off going out in public. It's not put me off going to the games. So I'm sure if I'd had it and it was horrific and um, it put me on my backside for a month and I was still struggling now, um, I'd be telling everybody, you know, stay indoors, don't do anything. Um, and I guess it's down to personal experience, isn't it? it until you've had it, it's hard, to, um, it's hard to learn from other people, I suppose. Well, this is a subject we'll come back to, I'm sure, many times uh, going forward because uh, lots to be decided just yet. Thank you to the three of you for being really, really honest. Um, this week I'm hoping to speak to um, Bob Taylor who was a Gillingham striker who went on to play for City who's actually uh, campaigning for fans to return to stadiums and when I've had a chat to him hopefully that's going to happen tomorrow um, I'll put a, a video up on, on Forever Blue and you can hear what he's got to say on it as well uh, I just want to finish off this podcast by not giving a lot of time to it because uh, certainly from my point of view, I don't know what to expect from Leon. if I'm being honest. I haven't watched Leon apart from when we played the moment away. Um, so I'm not an expert. I'm sure Harlan will have a view. But I'm, I'm just wondering now whether uh, the City have beaten Madrid, uh, whether, you know, I think Pep's trying to warn against this, that, you know, don't take it for granted. 
is the mood that everybody expects us to sort of sail past uh, Leon, and then then the tougher game is is Bayern Munich or Barcelona, or are you are you worried about Leon in Portugal? Um, I, it's the the quarterfinals of the Champions League, so there's no such thing as an easy game. Every team that gets there, um, you know, deserves deserves to get there, especially if they've knocked out Juventus. But realistically, if we could have um, if you listed all of the seven potential teams we could have faced in the quarterfinals, every single City fan would have picked Leon. Um, everyone says, oh, they beat us uh, and drew with us a couple of years ago. Well, they had a different manager at the time. They had that Nabil Fakir up front who's moved on now. They're a slightly different team. They finished second in the group, um, which was an easy group anyway. Um, I'm looking here, they lost, they've lost 10 games out of 28 in league. Uh, one in France, um, they've not they've not played they've played one competitive game since March and they got beat and I know they went through but they got beat on the night. Um, I'm I, even as a pessimistic fan, I'd be incredibly shocked if we got knocked out. But it would be typical City to beat Real Madrid comfortably and then drop a clanger and get knocked out by Leon in the, ne the next round. So uh, I won't count my chickens just yet. But if if we can't beat Leon, then. We need shooting, don't we? Answer. Typical City fan answer that. Go on, Harlan. You're Mr. Optimistic. Yeah, um, I think we should we should beat Leon because of how we played the other night, because we've been professional, like I said, since we came back. Out of the two sides, like Lucas just said, we played more football, so by rights, we should be more ready for the game, if that's fair for me to say. Fair for me to say. But then... As Lucas said, they've got a different manager. They lost Nabil Fakir. He's now gone. But they've still got dangerous players like Corne, Depay, who for me gets a lot of rubbish from City fans because he used to play for United. But Memphis Depay is a fine, fine footballer. And on his day, from a set piece or from you know outside the box or inside the box, he's a danger man. And don't ever go into a game against somebody like that. All right, we went again in against Madrid the other night knowing that Hazard's not the player he was at Chelsea at Madrid. But a player like that can always turn up when you least expect him to and, 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 and kill you. Nobody expected Llorente, I know it was on ball last year and I still maintain that, nobody expected Llorente to be the man that would in the end score a goal that would damage our last, you know, last year's Champions League run. And he ended up being the man that nobody thought. Everyone thought it might have been Kane or somebody else, but it was Llorente. So don't underestimate Leon. He's still a very fine side. The form in the league's not been great, like Lucas said. I agree with that. But... They are Leon, and when I was growing up, Leon were a big side, and and you know they, they might they might use that and, and go, you know what? Let's not let City take the Mickey out of us. You know, let's change our approach. We're going in a bit blind as well because we don't know they might they might just try and ruin our our game and might either play a low block or might try and press us and put us under pressure. You don't really know what's going to happen, but like Lucas said, I'd like to think we'll beat them. I think we're going to beat them. I'd love to see us sail past them. But I wouldn't be naive and underestimate them either. And you know, let's not let's not do that and then get stung by Barca or Bayern Munich in the next round because we've gone into this one arrogant and then we get caught cold in the next game. Let's go into this one as if it's Bayern Munich now. And then when we play Bayern Munich, we're ready to play Bayern Munich. Or let's pretend this is Barcelona, beat Leon like they're Barcelona, and then when we face Barcelona, we're ready for Barcelona. That's the way I'd see it. Yeah, you in the dressing room beforehand to give that speech, uh, Harlan, I think. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> listen, uh, Amy, uh, Harlan, two of our regulars, uh, thank you very much for your contribution. Uh, 
particularly Lucas, for coming on from the 1894 group. As I said before, it's not an empty offer. You're more than welcome to come on again, even when there's nothing particularly relevant from the 1894 group to speak to us about. Uh, thanks for your contribution. Um, thanks very much to charleslewy.co.uk, who are the sponsors of the, of the podcast, which will continue on next season. Thanks to them. Um, still umming and ahhing about whether the vlog will continue on. So if you are somebody who listens to this and thinks that you can support through your company um, the, the vlog, then get in touch with me. Um, otherwise, um, have a good week. Uh, Saturday night, 8 o'clock, City play Leon, quarterfinals of the Champions League. And they will have a podcast sometime a day or two after that to reflect on it. And of course, there will be a match day vlog as well. And look out for that uh, that um, Bob Taylor interview as well, uh, where he's trying to get people back in the ground, but also no doubt talking about his career at City. So thanks very much. Have a good week. And uh, as always, it's great being a blue.